original person is. And then we have a very interesting word, artabando. So we're going to be focusing on this term, Artha. That would be Artha, that's T-H-A. So, meaningful? That you're thinking ourselves, Artha.
as the lotus flower, although very delicate and soft, enjoys the scorching heat of the sun. Vyaktamba manga jabayarti haro vijato devo yadanti purusha surugopta tando nigeti karapanga jamarta bando tattastaneshu chachurasu chakin kalinam. Clearly, you have taken birth in the world to relieve the fear and distress of the people of Raja. Just as the Supreme Personality of Godhead, the Primeval Lord, protects the domain of the demigods, therefore, O friend of distress, kindly place your lotus hand on your maidservant's heads and burning breast. So, I'm not going to read through uh, these commentaries, uh, but I will read uh, some sections of them. So here the gopis are saying you're the friend of the distress, and just like God relieves the distress of the demigods, you come to relieve the distress of the people of Raja. So relieve our distress as well. That's that's what you do. You're a distress reliever. (laughs) So (laughs) we're in distress. And of course, distress is one of the four reasons that the uh, neophyte takes up Krishna consciousness, the kanista devotee, as Rupa Goswami so nicely explains in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, there is the desire of wealth, and Rupa gives the example of whom as a desire of wealth? Dhruva. One who wants to get free of distress, and he gives the example of Gajendra. Now, it's really, this is a really side point, but there's a lecture where Prabhupada talks about how the crocodile that was biting the foot of Gajendra for a thousand years, how he also got liberated because he was touching the feet of Vaishnava. Even though he was biting the feet of Vaishnava. And even though Gajendra is counted in that sense as a Kanista devotee because he's approaching the Lord out of distress. So even if you bite the feet of a Kanista devotee, you can go back to Godhead. However, that process is not recommended. Please don't bite the devotees. But it does show the power of the devotees. Even, you know, not that we should just think, oh, you're just a Kanista devotee. You know, I'm just going to serve my guru, I'm just going to serve Prabhupada. Uh, just imagine how much power there is in actually serving the feet of a devotee. Okay, and then for curiosity, What's Rupa Goswami's example? The sages and Namasharanya, and uh, those who are already Brahman realized? The four Kumaras, yes. Okay. So those are the four types of Kanista, or neophyte devotees. So we can say, well, are the, the gopis are obviously not Kanista devotees. I mean, we have here Nijasiddha devotees who appear with Krishna in his lila, and then we have Sadhana Siddha and Kripa Siddha devotees, like some of these gopis are formerly the sages in the Dunyakar forest, some of them are the personified Vedas, and then some were from all different uh, parts of the universe, uh, just like we were all hoping to join Krishna's pastimes. But these are all Siddha devotees, so they're not Kanistas. And yet they're saying we're in distress. So the Kanista devotees, 
the reason that they're approaching the Lord in distress, and Prabhupada makes the point that in order to approach the Lord in distress, you have to be pious. You know, an impious person, what do they do when they're in distress? They go to the bar, right. They take some intoxicant. Shop on Amazon. Shop on Amazon. <laughs> yeah, but when they're in distress, they do something to escape. Right? They, they watch entertainment, they play a game, they take some intoxicant, they go on a shopping spree and max out their credit card, or they yell at everybody, right? They, they harass everybody. Or any of you used to do that. He used to yell at everybody for no reason. Interesting. So when impious people are in distress, that's how they behave. When pious people are in distress, then they surrender to God. I mean, there's a saying, there's no atheists in foxholes. But actually there are, even people who are in distress, if they're very impious. They may just get angry at God. Isn't it? Now I'm in distress, this means there's no God. How could God put me in distress? Which is absurd. Loving parents put their children in distress all the time by the view of the children. Yes? Now you have to put your toys away and come eat. Ah! You know, for the children, this is like torture. Or now it's time to go to bed. I hate you. So the concept that a loving person never gives distress to someone that they're in charge of uh, it's, it's ridiculous. But anyway, pious people, they think like this. So pious people, they pray to God. But what's the mood of a distressed, pious person praying to God? It's about who? Yeah. Me. It's about me. And our relationships in this world are mostly like that. You know, I love people because they make me feel good. I love them because of the way they make me feel. It's about me. And as soon as they don't make me feel good anymore, then I don't love them anymore. And we see love can turn to hatred in, you know, a fat, like a fast accelerating car. Right? Like the Tesla, right? It goes, and people can be like that. They can be, I love you. Yeah, well, I don't think I can be home on time. I hate you. <laughs> you know, and so it's, it's all about me. It's not, it's not really love. It's not really love. You know, when I was talking about Prabhupada in, in China a few days ago, and Malati said, please tell that story about your son. So we'll bring that up to him. So, when, so my son was about one and a half, like about the age of singing, you know, sitting on my lap. And Prabhupada said, just like this mother is loving her son without expectation of return, and that way you should love Krishna. And my father said, will loving her son help her to love Krishna? Prabhupada said, no. But loving Krishna will help her to love her son. So when we try to love Jiva separately from Krishna, it, it becomes a selfish thing. And it, it, it's a hard thing to say, and nobody wants to hear it, and people will argue about it and resist it, and when you say that, people put up a 10,000-mile wall in their heart, and you know, I'm not going to hear that. But that's, that's the reality. It's about me. Now, better to approach Krishna to get relief from distress than to approach another jiva separately from Krishna or to go to the bar or, you know, the marijuana shop. I mean, that's better and it can lead 
to love eventually. We can take one to a higher platform. But the gopis asking Krishna to relieve their distress is entirely different. And the reason why it's different is given by Shiva Prabhupada in this short comment that again pulled from Vishnu Chakrabadi Thakur. And, and, and Nathya Swami also references it. And what is that? When you leave our distress, you will feel happiness. Like the, what? What was their comparison? Like the lotus is feeling happiness from the heat of the sun. Yes? Because they're saying, Tapta, we're burning. Please touch us. We're burning. Oh, I don't want to touch something that's burning. <laughs> I'll, get, I'll get burned. I'll get burned to ashes, for uh, No, you'll feel pleasure. So the, devote, the devotees who are on this platform of love, they're asking Krishna to relieve their distress for his pleasure. And what is their distress? Their distress is that we're not giving you pleasure. You know, when the devotees lament that Krishna's gone from Vrindavan, you know, that gets filtered in my mind, my materialistic mind, as I want the person that I'm attached to to be physically with me so I can enjoy it with them. That's how it gets interpreted to me. You know, I'm missing someone there in a distant place. Because of a distant place, I can't do things with them that I like. So I want them to be here. And that's a lot of the reason we go mad when somebody dies. You know, I can't enjoy it anymore. But the gopis, they and the other residents of Vrindavan, they want Krishna in Vrindavan because they're feeling this is Krishna's favorite place. This is the only place he can be himself. I was reading the other day in the Govardhan Champu how, you know, after Krishna lifts Govardhan Hill, the demigods all come and they're worshiping Krishna very opulently. And Kavikarnapur kind of saying, Krishna's thinking, I'd really like to get back to playing with my friends. But, but the demigods are having so much, they're getting so much pleasure from worshiping me that I'll stay here. You know, just, we do that, isn't it? We go somewhere and really rather be doing something else, but because we care about the people that we're with, we go there to please them. Yes, we've all done that. Yes, many, 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 many times. <laughs> and you're thinking, oh, I'd like to kind of try to surreptitiously sort of, you know, yeah, I did. Yeah, I'm having a great time. What do you think you want to please the other, the other person? So the devotees are done are thinking, this is the only place where Krishna's really happy, and that's why we want to bring Krishna back to the They're willing to live in separation themselves. It, it makes Krishna happier to be separate from them. Just like I'm, I'm right now in the ninth canto where Lord Ramachandra sends his brothers out. That's when um, uh, Trigna conquered Mathura and killed Lavanasura. And Prabhupada says that he didn't want his brothers just to have sense gratification in his own presence. So, you know, sometimes the devotees will, they'll be separate from the Lord or be separate from the other devotees like Prabhupada left from Dhamma, in order to please the Lord. Hmm? So their distress is of an entirely different nature. 
Now, what's their desire? Krishna had asked them, what do you want? Why did you come to the forest? Did you come to see the moonlight? Did you come to see the flowers? Why are you here? So they're telling him what they want, and they're saying, we want to be your tinker. We want to be your maidservants. Mm-hmm. And this is why they want Krishna to touch their head. So who do you touch the head of? You, you touch the head of an inferior, isn't it? Yeah. You know, a parent will touch the head of a child, or a master will touch the head of a servant. Right? It's, a, it's a blessing. And it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful verse, one of my favorite favorites of uh, Prahlad Maharaj. After Lord Singhadev touches Prahlad's head, and it said that Prahlad was free from all material contamination, which is interesting because we can think he was already free from all material contamination. But it's dynamic. <laughs> You know, it's not like materially you do something and it's done and then that's it and then you're bored. But spiritually you can always become more and more spiritually enlightened. And Prabhupada comments there about Pulagamaras that his body was in the modes of Rajas and Thomas, having been received from his atheistic father. But because of the touch of the Lord, there's another lecture where Prabhupada said, virtually demoniac blood flowed in his veins. Uh, but because he's touched by the Lord, same day that is all gone. And Pilar says this wonderful, wonderful thing. He says, My dear Lord, uh, you don't put your hand on the head even of Lakshmi Devi, but you put your hand on my head. He really just took this as this great blessing. And indeed, there's another prayer of Lakshmi Devi asking, Would you please put your hand on my head? Because all of the devotees have this mood of service. Krishna does how he explains this very nicely. We talked about this the other day, so I'm not going to go into it now. But that all the devotees have this mood of service. I want to be a servant. Even Krishna's wives, right when they're talking to Draupadi at Kurukshetra, and they say, you know, Krishna married me, and they'll describe this incredibly romantic, heroic way that Krishna married them. And then they say, and now I've been accepted as a sweeper in the Lord's house. Now I've accepted as a servant. Like Rukmini had thousands of maid servants, but she would serve Krishna personally as a servant. But they're also asking to be accepted as lovers because they're saying, also, please touch our breasts. So Sanatana Goswami comments that this is still in the mood of Purvarag. Purvarag is when before the the man and the woman have actually had their relationship. So this is, it's a kind of, of anticipation. Yes? And uh, although he also he can quotes a lot of authorities for this uh, conclusion of his, he says, or it's possible that they have had association with Krishna already, but because everything is ever fresh, they feel like it. And I was thinking how, because Krishna's pastimes are eternal, just like we have the wedding of Ram and Sita, we have the wedding of Krishna with Rukmini, that's going on eternally. You know, in our material relationships, generally the beginning of the relationship is the most intoxicating and incredible. Right? They say chemically those, those things wear off after about 18 to 24 months. This kind of, it's almost an insanity. And in that state, a person isn't, they're practically incapable of seeing faults in the person that they love. 
They practically don't see it. You know, after they're together for a year and a half to two years, they're like, oh, you leave your dirty socks on the floor. But they didn't notice it before that. So there's this incredible, incredible feeling in the beginning of a relationship. It's overwhelming, overpowering. It's been the source of so many poems and songs and paintings and uh, so much of the inspiration for art in the world, artistic expression. But this exists eternally between Krishna and his beloveds. Eternally. They're always feeling, oh, I'm meeting you for the first time. I'm attracted to you for the first time. And sometimes it bewilders them. It's like, who is this person I'm attracted to? You know, I thought I was in love with Krishna, but who is this person? Oh, that's Krishna. No, it's... You know, Krishna's like that too. Who, who is that beautiful girl over there? Who is it? Is, is it a girl? Maybe it's a lightning flash. Maybe it's a creeper of flowers. So there's this ever-fresh aspect to this relationship. And then, it, you know, it, what's also interesting is that it's not only that Krishna will gain pleasure from actually dancing with the gopis, etc., but this process of conversation that the gopis are having with Krishna is also giving Krishna pleasure. You know, in Rajagun, you work very hard and suffer in order to get some fruit that you hope you will enjoy. Prabhupada calls this fruitive activity. And people are so perverse in Rajagun that they're actually prideful about how much they've suffered to achieve something. Uh, you can tell that people will talk to you about how much they suffer from something, by the way. If you start noticing that, you know, because in Rajagun you're taking pride in that. I have suffered and suffered and suffered. Which means most of your life you're just suffering, you know. It's just like, huh? And so that's Rajagun. But in Sakagun it's not like that. At every moment you're, you're being appreciative. What to speak of in Bhakti? In bhakti, it's not like you suffer for a result. You're always, what does Prabhupada say, a thrill at every moment. So this process between the gopis and Krishna is also like that. So this is a, this particular conversation that they're having is described as an anubhava. Anubhava is a deliberate expression of ecstasy. And this Anubhav is described in the Utwalmi Lumani 1185. And it's a conversation where Radha and Krishna are speaking and they're using words in many different ways. There's a similar thing in the Bhakti Samhita Sindhu that's in Nectar Devotion where Krishna doesn't show up when he was supposed to. Right? He was supposed to show up at night and he showed up in the morning and Radha says, Where are your clothes? And Krishna takes the meaning of clothes, and it's just like in English. Clothes can mean what you wear, and it can also mean to shut something. Yes? So the Sanskrit word for clothes means garments, residence, and fragrance. You understand? Like in America, you say, did you close the door? That doesn't mean that you put clothing on the door. So Krishna says, my residence is in your beautiful eyes. And she says, I didn't ask about your residence, I asked about your clothes. And he said, I've gotten this fragrance by being near you. And then she's frustrated with that, so she says, um, where did you spend the night? And again, 
twists that and he says, I don't think the knight could have kidnapped me. So in this particular verse 41, which we do not have time to get into, those of you who want to spend a few hours, literally, uh, you can get into, especially Sinatra's song, Estica, where he gives so many different ways that this verse can be explained. And Jiva Goswami says that this verse is spoken by a fourth group of gopis, that there's four groups of gopis having this conversation. Um, and he says that the, verse, the different groups of gopis are speaking in verses 33, 35, 38, and 41. And he doesn't identify who these groups are. He just says that there's four groups of gopis. Uh, there's some indication that it has to do with, the, with where they're standing. Are they standing in the north, south, east, or west? Um, I was also thinking that there are four main delineations of groups of gopis. So there's groups that are favorable to Radha, groups that are Radha's own group, groups that are favorable to Radha, groups that are neutral to Radha, groups that are opposed to Radha. So I was thinking that could be a low, that's my extrapolation. So Sanatana Goswami also gives this detailed, detailed explanation of what points in which verses that the gopis made are answering which points of Krishna. They're having this kind of argument, which is uh, both of Yavichari Bhav and Anubhav. So this argument they're having is an ecstasy. The Sanatana Goswami gives a very detailed explanation in about ten different ways of which points can answer which thing. And then after that, he says, the meaning of each part can be different according to one's taste. For persons enjoying the mercy of the lotus feet of the Lord who is affectionate to the gopis. The words that the gopis and Krishna exchanged and their meanings have been explained recklessly, with unintelligence, understood from the heart, for the pleasure of the devotees. So that's how Sanatana Goswami describes his explanation. And Jiva Goswami describes that Krishna spoke ten verses, the gopis in response spoke eleven and the meter of the gopis' verses was longer. And this shows that who won the argument? The gopis. One more verse, and it was longer. So this way they were victorious in the argument, and this process of argument also was very pleasing to the Lord. So we would like to segue from going to the Lord for our own purposes to going to the Lord for His purposes with the trust that as part of him, when we please his purposes, we will also be very satisfied. Shri Prabhupada Ki Jai.